Let's pray together, church. Father, we come to you this morning, God, and we do give you thanks for that faith that goes before. God, when we were off in the far country, when we were lost and without hope, God, you gave us the ability to put our faith and put our trust in you. And Father, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning that responded in faith to that call to follow Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of their lives, God. But I also pray for those that might be here this morning who do not know you, Lord, who have never made that decision to follow Jesus. Maybe some are here and they have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power that goes along with it. Or God, maybe they think they have a relationship with you because of church attendance or because of a family background or because of growing up in, in, in church, and, but they've never had a genuine faith encounter with you. God, I pray that today would be their day. I pray that they would come to know you before this service is over. And God, their life would totally be reoriented. It would be totally changed. And uh, Father, that they would become a new creation right here on the spot. That's what we're praying for today, God. Uh, I pray also, Lord, that you would speak during this uh, service, during this sermon, God. We're going to experience a wonderful thing today. We're called to the Lord's table to take communion together, Father, and I pray that we would sense your Holy Spirit in that in such a real and palpable way that we would know when we leave this place we have been in God's presence. So God, use me today. Thank you for already using the worship team, and I know you're going to continue to use them, Father. We pray that you would be in our children's ministry and that you would bless what goes on there today. Be with our hospitality members, God, as they greet people as they come in, Father. I pray that the people would sense who you are and, who you're, and what your love is all about, even through our hospitality members today. Lord, we are your church. We are your people. We render everything up to you, God. We give it all. We don't want to hold anything back. We want to surrender everything to you today, God. Lord, we love you above all. We praise you for Jesus and what he did for us in dying on the cross. And we thank you for the victory that we have through his resurrection. It's in his name we pray everything that we have prayed, God, and it's in his name that we live our lives. And Rushwood said together, amen. You may be seated here today. So glad that you guys are here. This is a pretty good crowd for the last full weekend before school starts back. I know that everybody's like, uh-oh, we got to get one more mountain trip, one more beach trip, one more lake trip, because it's about to be over. School is about to start back. My kids are having open house this week, and since they're homeschool kids, that means they walk into the kitchen and sit down at the kitchen table. That's going to be their open house. Um, we, we start a little late. We actually start after Labor Day, uh, back the way they used to do school back in the old days. But Hey, let me give you, I gave you a couple of good things last week, and I want to give you at least one good thing uh, this morning. I, I'm part of what we call our District Board of Administration. That's a group that oversees, kind of like we have a board that oversees this church. The District Board of Administra Administration oversees the, the East District of uh, the North Carolina Wesleyan Church. And I, I was part of a board meeting uh, Friday night and Saturday morning. We went to Raleigh and, and we had a retreat and we made some decisions. And anyway, all that's in the background. But I just want to let you guys know that we've supported some churches that have started up over the past few years. And those churches, God is really moving in those churches. We, we supported United City as it started up in Greensboro. They're meeting at the YMCA in Greensboro, and they've already reached about 100 people in attendance, maybe a little bit more on some Sundays. And uh, they just baptized five people like last week, and I think they've baptized over 100 people now. And uh, we, we start, uh, supported a church plant in New Bern. If you remember several years ago, Pastor Aaron Golden came and talked to us about his vision for New Bern. And man, that church, they moved from one facility and outgrew it. They went to a new facility and they outgrew it. They're in their third facility and they're starting to outgrow it. Man, God is just really blessing Pastor Aaron and that work. And I told you that to let you know that as you support this church, we support other churches and our, our reach exceeds our grasp. 
we're actually able to reach out further than, than, uh, than just this community. We're able to actually reach new people in new places with the gospel by supporting other churches and being part of this big movement. And so I just praise God for that. I think that's good news that he's working in these areas and new people are coming to Jesus Christ. And so let's give the Lord some praise for that this morning. Also, and this is maybe not a praise report, but, you know, sometimes as you do church, you, you kind of assume things that are in the background, and, and we forget to mention things a lot of times. And At our church, I, I kind of had a reminder this week how important it is for us, not just our hospitality team, not just our staff, but for us, those of us who are part of Rushwood Church, to make sure that when we see new people in our church, we greet them very important it's very important that we reach out and we don't usually have a time of walk around greeting or or a formal greeting time during our services in fact most studies show that new people hate nothing worse than to be forced to get up and go talk to everybody and be singled out or or hey you're new today we'd like for you to stand they hate that and so we don't do that here because uh, a lot of people don't like being put on the spot but people still like to be greeted and welcomed in the name of Jesus Christ so that's your job that's one of your jobs on Sunday morning. When you come here, it's not just to take in the worship. It's not just to take in the sermon and what's going on. But it's also to say, hey, I don't know if I've seen you before. My name is, and give them your name and introduce yourself to them and let them know that you're so happy that they're here. And you say, well, what if they've been coming to the church for a while and, and I just have never met them? You need to meet them. It's okay. I don't think they're going to shoot you or anything because you hadn't met them yet. I, we hear that all the time. I don't know if they're new or not. Okay, go figure it out. That's your job. That's part of what we, we need to do here. And hospitality is a spiritual gift, by the way. Literally, hospitality means to welcome the stranger or to welcome the new person. And it's a spiritual gift. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit places within us is that ability to be hospitable to new people. And so I just want to encourage you guys. It means so much to people. I want to encourage you to, to be aware of that, okay? A lot of times we just go through go on our, throughout our business on Sunday morning. We forget things like that. But it's very important to welcome people, especially new people. But it's also nice to, for, to welcome people and greet people you've known for a long time. It, it helps us become family more and more. And so I just want to encourage you guys to make sure that you're doing that before service, after service, during service as you get the chance. Greet new people as you see them and, and let them know you're so glad that they're part of the Rushwood Church family. Well, today we're in the fifth sermon of our six-part series called Rooted, and we're looking at Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church in chapter 3. And so we've gone through a lot of big concepts. This has not been necessarily going verse by verse through this section of Scripture. It's more big concepts that we find in this prayer that Paul is praying, a very intimate prayer, a very personal prayer that he is praying for the Ephesian church and probably those people surrounding the Ephesian church. I want us to read this prayer again. We've read the whole thing every week, and I hope you're not getting bored with God's word because that would probably be a sin, so let's not do that. Uh, but we're reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and I hope as we read this every week that it sinks into your heart. I hope as we've read this, it's begin to get down in your spirit a little bit, and you, you begin to kind of be familiar with these words and see what God is saying. Because although Paul wrote it, and a lot of times I'll say Paul wrote this or Paul said this, we know that the Holy Spirit was speaking through Paul. These are God's words through a particular individual to his church. That's what scripture is. And so uh, this is really important stuff. It's really good stuff. I know you just got seated and you haven't been seated too long, but I just feel like today would be a good day to stand up and honor God's word. So we're going to do that this morning. I'd like to ask if you'd stand. And we're going to read it together this morning, out loud, everybody, all at once. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, this great prayer that Paul has prayed for the Ephesian church. One, two, three, go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints 
what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Give God some praise for his word this morning, church. By the way, just little things, little things that happen behind the scenes in church that nobody ever knows about. We, we got an updated computer system, and used to when we read through Scripture together, there was always a lag between sections of Scripture or slides of Scripture. Man, that was smooth today, so good job, Blake, good job, tech team. Uh, that, that was really good, helping us to worship and read God's Word together. Well, in another one of the Apostle Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Hey, you guys, some of you have been around church for a while. What's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 often called? Oh, that was so good. You guys know. 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. And Paul writes that three, in that chapter he writes that three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And he goes on and says the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of these is love. Well, today we're going to be focusing on faith and love Next week, we're actually going to be talking about hope and, and looking at, at a gospel view of hope. And we're going to be talking about God's hope to all generations. Sometimes in the church, there's fussing and fighting between generations and generations struggling for power and control. And man, that's just a, an affront to the gospel. That's a terrible thing when that happens. But next week, I'm going to try to give you a word that I believe God would have for each of the living American generations and, all, and the hope that's there within that word that God has for each of the living American generations. And so I think that's going to be a great sermon. Even if I do put it together, I think God's going to be behind it all. But next week we'll talk about hope. But today I want us to focus on faith and love. Faith and love. It's going to, I always say this, and it always goes long, so I hope, I hope I'm not lying to you this morning. But I think we're going to have a fairly short sermon this morning. But we are going to be taking communion together uh, at the end. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together toward the end of this sermon this morning. So we'll see. We'll see if I'm telling you the truth or not. But I think it's a pretty simple outline, even if it isn't a short sermon. Faith and love. Both faith and love have vertical movements and horizontal movements to them. They have vertical movements. When I used to teach art, I taught art in middle school, and I would try to teach kids, try to help the math teachers out a little bit and tell them, look, vertical means up and down, horizontal means side to side, diagonal or oblique means this direction, and tried to teach them that, and a lot of times they would catch on to that. Faith and love have vertical and horizontal movements to them, and so we can place these on a cross. We can put both faith and love on a cross to help us kind of remember these vertical and horizontal movements. Faith starts out vertically. If you put your faith in people, what happens? Sooner or later, they're going to let you down, aren't they? Sooner or later, if you trust in people, and man, heartbreak, betrayal, I mean, I know we've all been through that. We've believed in somebody. We've said maybe about somebody, look, I know the world may let me down. I know everybody may turn against me, but I know this one person they're always going to have my back. They're always going to be there for me. And then when that person turns on you as well, man, it can just crush you. It brings betrayal into your life and, and just a lot of pain. So when we put faith in people, people are always going to let us down. Nobody's perfect. That's why I tell you, please don't put your faith in me. Please don't put your faith in any pastor. I see sometimes, I think people have like their favorite television pastor, the one they watch on television all the time. And they believe that this person is just almost perfect and infallible and that's because they never have to deal with them they're in some other city far away and preaching something but anyway they believe this person does no wrong says no wrong thinks no wrong but when you put your faith in a person you can be let down i remember when i was growing up people who put their faith in jim baker and jimmy swagger got left let down a lot do you guys remember that those of you who were part of that generation when you put your faith in people, even godly people, even, even people who are Christians, they will let you down because they're not God and they're not perfect. The world tells us we need to put faith in ourselves. And to an extent, that's true. You have to have some faith in yourself or you're not going to be able to do 
anything. You've got to have some belief in yourself and in your ability, or you're just always going to sit back and say, I'm a loser, I'm a failure. And we may talk about that a little bit later in this sermon, that kind of thinking. So you have to have some faith in yourself. But if you put ultimate faith in yourself, you're going to let yourself down eventually as well. Sometimes I can't believe how much I let myself down. Sometimes I can't believe how much, I, I, man, I thought I knew it, I thought I had it right, I thought I had it all figured out, and, all, and man, I figured out I made the wrong calculation, I made the wrong move, I did the wrong thing. I had all this faith in myself, I had faith in my intellect and in my ability, and all of a sudden I found out I let myself down, and man, that can get really frustrating. Anybody ever been there besides me, or am I the only one? Okay, I'm, I'm the only one, all right, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, but if you put faith in yourself, you're eventually going to let yourself down because you're not God. I, I said this several weeks in a row. I don't know why it keeps coming up, but really we're just animated dust. God created us out of the dust. He breathed life into us. He gives us that life. We're just animated dust. At the end, our frame is, is not that strong. We're just animated dust. We're just people that God has created, but we are not God himself, and eventually we'll let ourselves down. But if you put faith in God, he will never let you down. God will never let you down. Even when there are going to be times you think God has let you down. And when you think God has let you down, he's not really let you down. You'll see at the end that he is going to bring you through. He is going to get, carry you to the next place. If you put your faith in God, he will never, ever, ever let you down. And so true faith comes from above. I, I talked about that a little bit in my prayer you would not even want to have faith. You would not even be able to put your faith in God if God didn't give you that faith to begin with, didn't place that in your heart, place that in your life. True faith comes from above, and true faith is always directed back above. So faith has a vertical movement. True faith is offered up to God. There are people around us who put faith in education, people around us who put faith in finances, people around us that put faith in government, all those things will let you down, but true faith is directed to God, and it will never let you down. It comes from above and is directed above. And I think it might be good to say this right here. Faith is more than just simply accepting a fact. Faith is more than just accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, accepting the Bible as a fact, accepting the gospel as a fact. It's more than that. Satan accepts that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan accepts that God is the God of this universe. Satan accepts that the work that was done on the cross uh, gave, gave eternal life to those who believe. Satan knows that. Satan and his demons accept that. And yet at the same time, he's not saved, is he? He's still a devil. As C.S. Lewis said, Satan is a better theologian than any of us, and he's still the devil. Doesn't change him on that. So faith is more than just mentally accepting a fact, mentally knowing and acknowledging it's more than that. It's like this. Let me give you a little illustration. I accept and believe the fact that there is a place called New York City. In fact, I've seen it on a map. I've been to New York City. I, I mean, it was a cold place when I went up. We went in the winter. I'm never doing that again unless I have to. But anyway, I accept the fact that New York City exists. I've been there. I've seen it. I've walked around in it. It gave me a really bad sinus infection. I mean, I know that the place is real but it does not make me a New Yorker. I know you heard me start speaking this morning, and you thought, that guy's from New York. I can tell by his accent that hey, I'm not a New Yorker. I'm not, I promise. I'm not at all. But to be a New Yorker, if I wanted to become a New Yorker, I believe in it, I've seen it, I've been walked around in it. To be a New Yorker, I would have to move to that city. And I would have to take up, and, and only if God calls me. I promise you guys, I am a Southern dude. I will be here unless God calls me somewhere else. I will stay below the Mason and Dixon line except maybe for visits outside of there. Unless God calls me, I'm not planning on doing this. But if I were going to plan on doing this, I would have to move to New York City. I'd have to take up residence in New York City. I'd have to find a place where I would stay, and I would actually find a job there. My kids would go to school there or go to school in that city, and we would build our life on New York City, and then I would be a New Yorker. I wouldn't be a native New Yorker, but I'd be a New Yorker. It's kind of the same thing with Jesus Christ. We can have mental assent and we can believe that Jesus Christ 
is who he said he was, and we can believe that the gospel saves us from our sins. We can believe all this mentally, but until we build our life on that fact, we're not a Christian. Until we decide that I am going to build my life on Jesus, I'm going to stake my eternity. Guys, look, I would live my life a whole lot differently if I did not believe in Jesus Christ. If I didn't believe in Jesus Christ, I would be doing all sorts of things to make a whole lot more money than I do, and I would be trying to build up a big bank account, and I would be trying to have a fancier car and a bigger house and all these things, because if I believe this was the only life there is, I better live it up right now. Sometimes my wife gets into conversations with atheists online, and they're trying to argue with her all this stuff, you know, about, uh, about uh, theology or about the world and science, and sometimes she'll just tell them, look, why are you arguing with me? You're an atheist. You believe this is all there is. Your time is ticking away. Your clock is ticking down. Why don't you go get off this computer, quit talking to me, and go live your life? Because if this is the only life you have, you're wasting time right now. You must not really believe it if you're going to spend time trying to convince me of something different. I would live my life totally differently if I did not believe in Jesus Christ, if I had not built my life on him. But instead of trying to store up treasures on this earth, I'm trying to store up treasures in heaven. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do things for the kingdom, things that will last, things that will be eternal, things that will never pass away. I'm trying to build my life on Jesus and the truth of who he is and the truth of the kingdom of God. And I'm staking it all, man. I'm risking it all on that. I'm betting it all on the fact that Jesus really is the son of God. He really is who he said he was, and I'm going to live my life for him. So it's not just mental ascent, it's putting the whole weight of your life on Jesus Christ. I had a kid one time when I was teaching school come up to me, and I, I had said something about faith. I don't know, I can't even remember what I said in the class. And he came up to me, and a bold little guy, he came up and he said, I don't believe in faith because I am an atheist. And I said, okay, you may say you're an atheist, but within the next 30 seconds, I will prove that you have faith in your life. And he said, no, you will not. And he turned around, he stomped off, and he went back to his seat, and he sat down. And I said, there you go, you just proved it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you sat down in that chair, you didn't even check it. You didn't make sure the legs were okay. You didn't have somebody else sit there. You just had faith that that chair would hold you up. So you do have faith in your life. Well, that's not fair. That's not the same thing. And, you know, he wanted to argue with me. Very much the same thing with our lives, though. I put the weight of my life, I put the weight of who I am on Jesus, and I build my life on him. I'm rolling the dice that, it, that, it's, that it's all true, that it's all real, that it's the most important thing in the world. And so I put my life on Jesus Christ. And that's that vertical faith. I believe in God. I believe in who he is. I believe in who Jesus is. That's vertical faith. At the same time, horizontally, we have a faith that we're supposed to share. We're supposed to share our faith with others. We're supposed to take our faith outside of just ourselves. That's why a lot of people in our culture say, you know what? Christianity is fine. I don't believe it. You can believe whatever you want to. Just make sure you keep it in your churches. Just keep it in your churches. Just keep it quiet. Keep it kind of low-key. You can worship however you want to. Just make sure I never have to encounter it. Well, I'm sorry, that's going to bring things into conflict because Christians, by, by very definition, we are evangelical people. We believe other people need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to risk it all to share it. So we can't just stay in here and stay quiet and stay holed up and, and never share our faith with anybody or never let it get outside of these four walls or the four walls of our homes. God's calling us to take our faith to other people. That's that horizontal movement of we get faith from God, but then we take it and we share it with new people so that they can have faith in Jesus Christ. And we don't do that with superiority or pride. We don't go to people and say, you know what? I'm just better than you are. I, I, I'm a Christian. I found Jesus. I'm good now. I'm righteous. I'm holy. And you're messed up. We don't have that. We should not have that sort of attitude. I'm afraid sometimes we do. We should not have that sort of attitude. Instead, the attitude we should have is like one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find bread. That's the attitude we're supposed to have. I found this source of bread. I found the bread of life. Let me help you. Let me help you find where it is. Let me help you understand where this eternal life is found. But we're always supposed to be a witness. 
we've had I've, I've shared with you that we have neighbors who moved into our neighborhood and uh, we got to know them we've spent a couple of years getting to know them and investing in their family and inviting them to birthday parties and hanging out with them and uh, just just really kind of pouring into their family and letting their families get to be friends and being introduced to each other and all that sort of thing and they knew I was a pastor. I never held that back from them. I never said, you, you know, never hid that or anything. They knew where my church was, but we just didn't put church on them a lot. We didn't say a whole lot about church. We just kind of let this thing grow and got, just let them know that they, we were good people, that we had love in our hearts, and we were there for them and that sort of thing. And recently, they have a son who is only about five years old who's had to under, undergo heart surgeries and, and, and some, some pretty extensive things. And so we told them, we, we were bold enough, we said, well, we're going to pray for him. We're going to pray that everything's going to work out okay. And so as we started to do that and checked up on him, and we brought him a meal after a surgery and just, just did things like that, he comes to me, the father of the family comes to me. I didn't go to him, I didn't approach him with this. He said, hey, man, we really need to be in church somewhere. We really need to be in church somewhere. And I, so we, we told him about our church a little bit, and I said, hey, we got a great youth group and love for your kids to come and be part and so anyway long story is after a couple of years investment Wednesday night two of their kids came to our youth group for the first time and uh, I'm gonna brag on our youth group as Adam and what he presented they were really touched by what was presented and I sent him sent the father of the family a text and I said hey man uh, I hope your kids enjoyed the other night we're so glad that they came and he said man they came home and they were so excited they couldn't quit talking about it so that's awesome. That's an awesome way of just that horizontal movement of just sharing our faith in a gentle way. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be Billy Sunday, if you guys know who I'm talking about, and be out there and be bold and, you know, just be preaching the walls down. You don't have to be a street preacher to share your faith. You just generally need to horizontally move what has been placed in your life vertically through faith in Jesus Christ so that others come to know God and his salvation. Well, that's faith. What about love? Love is both vertical and horizontal as well. God's word says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Again, that's a vertical love. We're loving God. We're loving the one who created us. We're loving the one who made us, the one who wants to save us. That's a vertical love. But it also says, love your neighbors as yourself. Love others. That's regardless of who they are. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they've been through, regardless of their socioeconomic bank account status, regardless of anything, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, regardless of sexual orientation, anything that might be a difference between us and them, we're still supposed to love them. Now, I understand, guys, the world has a twisted view of love. The world says, basically, that, that love is just accepting everything. It, to accept everyone, you have to accept everything. And that's not a biblical godly love. There are certain things that God says, no, this is wrong. This is not good for you. This is not good for your life. The world has twisted the idea of love. And it, to the point where we've talked about it before, sometimes when you hear the word love, it almost makes you sick anymore because it's been redefined and it's totally not what the Bible is talking about, not what agape love is, the love of God is. But it doesn't matter that the world has twisted it. It doesn't matter that the world has messed it up. We're still supposed to love. We're still supposed to love with the love of God. We're still supposed to reach out to people who are different than us. We're still supposed to come alongside people in different situations and show them that there's a better way, that there's a God in heaven who loves them. And so it's a very, it's a tough tension in our culture right now. The idea of love has been messed up, yes, but there is a true love that it will never be messed up, and that's the love of God. And we have to carry that even to our enemies, even to the ones who don't love us, even to the ones who would reject us. We've got to carry that love to them so that they might come to know Jesus Christ and the love that he has. That's the horizontal love. Before Jesus died on the cross, church, the night before he was arrested, he established something that would help us to remember about his love and would help us to remember how we're supposed to love each other. He established a thing we call communion or we call it the Lord's Supper. He established it as a memorial meal that we would come and we would take this. He does, the Bible doesn't tell us how often that we're to take communion. It just tells us that we are to take communion and that we are to take the Lord's Supper together. 
and that we do it to remember Jesus and remember some of the things that he's done. And so this morning we get to do this. We try to do this every couple of months here at this church. I think because of my sabbatical and everything, we're probably looking at maybe three months since the last time that we have taken communion together. But I think there's a very real grace and there's a very real power in communion when we take the Lord's Supper together. I think there's something special that happens when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper together as a people. I don't think it's just a dead ceremony. I don't think it's just something that we, we do and it's just, just symbolic, I think. Now, I'm not saying, and we, we won't go as far as the Catholic Church would go and say this is literally the body and literally the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't believe that in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense, we believe there is a grace and there is a power to be had when we take this meal together. And so we're going to do something very special right now. And it's very neat how Jesus did this. It is cool the way Jesus set this up. He didn't do anything extravagant. He didn't do anything super special. He just took basic elements that would have been part of a traditional Jewish meal of that time. Just basic things that they would have eaten almost, uh, almost every time that they ate together. They would have bread and they would have had wine. And Jesus took those very normal things and, and he superimposed a power and a grace and, and uh, uh, just some really good stuff all around that. And so we get to take what's a very normal meal, but this is anything but normal when we come together and do this. There is a power, there is a strength in it for living. There is a grace that carries us on as Christians through what we remember and also through what Jesus provides for us in this meal. It reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ when we take this meal. It reminds us of what he went through for us on the cross that his body was broken and beaten and that he was spat upon and that he took a crown of thorns and that people denied who he was and mocked him for who he was. And he had to stay on that cross for six hours in the sun, exposed but because of his love for us. It reminds us of all that Jesus went through, not only the physical suffering, but that he took the wrath of God on himself, that he took our sins on himself uh, during this period of time, one who was without sin. You guys heard about, I'm sure this week, a lot of you have heard about the Catholic Church scandal that's come up again. And uh, this is stuff that happened decades back. And I, I read an article, and man, it just, you, you ever read something, you just wish you hadn't read it. It was one of those things. It was so sick, and it was so twisted, and, and, it, and it involved the name of God, which I think maybe that's the greatest sin that we can commit is involving the name of God in something evil. Such a terrible thing. And I read this and my heart was broken. And I don't know if those guys, a lot of those priests are dead now. They passed on. And so there's not going to be any charges brought because obviously they're not with us anymore. And I don't know if those guys ever got forgiveness. I hope they did. I believe the grace of God is so great that it can forgive even that, those sort of things if they confessed and if they turned and if they accepted the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered. But I want you to think about this. If they confessed those sins, repented on, uh, of those sins, then Jesus Christ took even those sins on himself at the cross. What a great Savior. What a great Savior we serve. That's part of this memorial communion meal that we are taking today. It also reminds us that we're not alone, that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There have been men and women over the centuries, wonderful men and women of God, who have taken this meal. And when we take this meal, we are joined with them spiritually. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone on before, people who serve God faithfully, took this meal, and we are united with them in this Lord's Supper. I even think about people within our church. I think about people very recently who were always part of this church family, and they have finished their race. They've run their course. They're now in the presence of God, and they used to take this meal with us, and in a very real sense, we're still taking this meal together. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of godly people who are the family of God, and this meal reminds us of that. When we take this meal, it also reminds us not only that Jesus came the first time and that he died for us, it reminds us that Jesus will come again. 
I thought maybe you guys would say amen right there because there's a lot of days that I feel like I'm ready for Jesus to come right now at this moment and take care of all the junk that's going on and clean up all the things that are going on and free me from some of the suffering I go through. And I, So I don't know if you guys feel that, but I feel that. But anyway, I'm going I'm to say that again. I'll give you a second chance. We're going to do a do-over this morning. It reminds us that Jesus will come again. Amen. Praise God. The early church had a word, an Aramaic word, Maranatha, and it meant, come, Lord Jesus. And man, that's my prayer of my heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and set everything right. Come and return to this earth. And you know, a lot of people doubt that he's coming back. They say, oh, that's a fairy tale. If he, if he was going to come back, he'd have come already. You Christians are crazy. No, I believe Jesus will return again, and every eye is going to see him. And there's going to be no doubt. And you can either bow your knee to him now or you can bow to your knee to him knee to him then. But you will bow your knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's going to happen. And so right now, though, we're in this in-between where we know that's going to happen, but it's not come yet. But this meal reminds us because we're to drink this uh, wine and we're to eat this bread and we're to take this meal until the return of Jesus Christ. And he will return again. And this meal reminds us of that. So today we're going to invite you to the Lord's table. And this table is the Lord's table. It's not Rushwood's table. You do not have to be a member of this church to participate in the Lord's Supper today. But you do need to be someone who is part of God's family to participate because this is a family meal. It was set aside for the family of God. And maybe you've never taken communion before. Maybe you're here today and you've never been part of a memorial meal like this. You've never been part of the Lord's Supper. But you found yourself, as I've talked today, you found that you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You want to live for him. You, you want to confess your sins and build your life upon who he is and what he's done. And if that's you, and if in just a second in your spirit you would say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Enter into my life, God. And Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I believe what you did on the cross. I believe you rose again on the third day. You can just pray that in your spirit right now, and you can be part of the family, and you can join us. That's good news. I have a friend who went to a Jehovah's Witness church, and they said in that church there was only two or three who were allowed to take communion together because they believed that only the elect, only the 144,000 could take communion. And so everybody else was thrilled to get to watch people take communion. That's not how it is in the true church of God. In God's true church, all are invited. You just become part of the family through the blood of Jesus Christ, and you're invited to come to this table and to partake of what's there for you. And so you're invited today. Make that decision for Jesus. Confess your sins, believe in him, and come be part of this. Also, for those of us who are part of the family, maybe we need to confess some things this morning because even if we're part of the family, a lot of times we get dirt on us as we go through life. And maybe we need to just take a minute, we're going to take a minute here and just, let, and just ask God to clean us up. And maybe there's unforgiveness in our lives or bitterness in our lives or things like that that are going on. And maybe we need to confess that before we come and we, and we take this meal because we don't want to come to this table unworthily. We don't want to come in the wrong spirit or a wrong attitude. So it may be good just to take a minute here before we start to serve this meal together and, and just bow your head and say, God, anything in my life, show me anything that's displeasing to you. God, and help me to get that out of my life. Help me to repent of that and, and turn away from that so that even those of us who know the Lord come in the right attitude and in the right spirit. This morning we are going to be doing, uh, taking communion by intention. Intention is a very time-honored way of taking communion. And the, simply, the, the way this is going to happen is we're going to have somebody here holding the bread and somebody here holding the juice. And as you, uh, as you come to the bread, just take a small piece of the bread, dip it into the juice, and as soon as you've done that, you're, you're going to be able to partake these elements and be part of this meal. And so that's how we're going to do that this morning. Just take the bread, dip it in the wine, or, or we serve juice, and just... Uh, you can partake as soon as you've done that. Our worship team is going to be singing a song. We haven't really done it this way before that I remember, but our worship team is going to be softly, kind of quietly singing a song behind us as we take this meal together. And when you return, so as soon as you've partaken of the elements, you can go back and we'd ask that you would just return to your seat and just await further instructions. But they're going to be singing a song that goes very much along with what we're doing this morning, what we've been talking about today. 
I'd like to ask that the ministerial students and assistant pastors that are here that have been prepared to be part of this, if you will come on up this morning, uh, we're going to get prepared. Right now, congregation, if you would just bow your heads for just a minute here, seek the Lord in whatever way that you need to seek him right now and get your hearts prepared to take this meal together. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives within us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. Father, as we take this communion time together today, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Remind us of that great offering that Jesus made for us on the cross. Remind us that we are part of a wonderful and beautiful family of God. God, we pray that you would remind us that Jesus is returning again. And we get to be part of his kingdom through his blood, through the sacrifice that was made for us. Father, I pray you'd give us grace for living. I pray that you would give us strength for the coming days. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence here this morning. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Congregation, if you would stand with me this morning, we're going to ask that these two sections, if they would come together to this center aisle that's between those two sections, and if you would come to the first uh, team that's available to serve you, the same thing with these two sections, if you would come to this center aisle that's between you, and please come to the first team that's available to serve you communion this morning. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you.
song, but these words are so beautiful, um, even if you don't know them, if you just want to lift your hands and worship and praise and adoration of, of the Father.
Church, one last thing about communion that I didn't mention. Communion, the Lord's Supper, means that you are loved. God sent his only begotten son, the most precious thing in the universe, to die on your behalf and my behalf because he loved us. And there's an extension to that. If God did that for us, if he loved us that much, then you need to love yourself. Not in an arrogant way, not in a way where you get up every morning and you kiss the mirror because you think you're so wonderful. Not that sort of love, but a love and a respect. And in fact, the great commandment tells us that we are to love others, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That implies that we're supposed to love ourselves and have respect for ourselves because God created us. And he's offered us a plan of salvation. So maybe this morning, if you're somebody who does not like yourself and does not like very much who you are, God created you and he has a plan for your life. And you need to walk in that love that he has for you. And you need to love yourself so that you can love him better and you can love other people better. It's taken me a long time to learn that. And maybe there's some of you out there who are like that this morning. Love yourself because God loves you and love others and always put God and others first but never forget to love yourself as well let's pray this morning Heavenly Father we will build our life upon your love because it is a firm foundation God we will put our trust in you alone and because of that we will not be shaken thank you for bringing us together as a family this morning thank you for the time that we had to commune with you Father and with uh, our Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit and God we pray that you would send us out and we would take your love into the far corners the dark corners of this world and that this world would be changed because of it we love you God we praise you in Jesus name and Rushwood said together amen remember on your way out our giving boxes your tithes and offerings support this ministry so more people can be reached with the love of God this morning I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. See you Wednesday night. God bless you all.